Although there's some missing here this morning, I'm surprised that we have as many as we have because everybody told me they were going out of town. You know how encouraging that is? Well, why should I even prepare a sermon? Think I'll eat worms and die, you know? <laughs> That's true, I forgot. <laughs> As I was saying, it's so good to see this great crowd here this morning (laughs) for the Internet. (laughs) But um, some of you are still planning on leaving town. Uh, Be careful in your travels uh, and and be here by next Sunday. All I ask is that you be back here by next Sunday. Genesis chapter 12, we'll look at verses 1 through 20. We've looked at Abraham, or Abram as he's called, as being a friend of God. This is not Abram or Abraham's boast of this friendship, but it's God declaring, Abram is my friend. In John's gospel, Jesus calls us here, believers, and his disciples, we are his friends But he puts a stipulation there. If you do what I command. Many people have Jesus as Savior. Having received their salvation, the greatest gift anyone could ever receive. But not all believers want Jesus as Lord or friend. Jesus as Lord is closely related to him being our friend. When you look at the qualifications for him being Lord and him being friend, they're the same. It's obedience. You know, only a complete fool would reject God's offer of salvation. But many Christians battle with Jesus in the arena of our will. We pray, your will be done, and then we go out and try to do our will. (laughs) But after we trust Jesus for eternal life, that battle of wills begins in each and every heart. How much of our life, how much of our will do we surrender to Jesus becomes the true question of every believer's life. And no one understands our lack of commitment as believers to Jesus as Jesus understands. As Christians, we like to throw around words. We like to use terms. We like to use words like love and faith. And we're quick to say Jesus is Lord. And we sing songs about Jesus being Lord and our all in all. But is he? Jesus declared in Luke 6.46, he said, Do not call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things I say. Jesus doesn't even want you to call him Lord if you're not going to be obedient to him. Now, that's pretty straightforward. Don't call me Lord unless you're willing to do what I say. Also, in Jesus' economy, a person is not his friend. 
nor can they call him Lord without being obedient to his word. That's his requirement. Now, we look upon friendship as kind of a give-and-take type relationship. However, Jesus, being God, he says to all believers, friendship with him requires obedience on our part. That's a requirement. Obedience to his word, obedience to scripture. I feel like I have to point this out. Friendship with Jesus is not let's hang out together type buddy situation. It's not that kind of a thing. But it's rather one of respect and godly fear. Many Christians, they try to reduce Jesus to being part of their entertainment or part of their hobby. And I've heard people say, if Jesus was here physically, he would ride a Harley. Okay. Or he would be my fishing buddy. Really? Think that through for a moment. <laughs> Several of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. And we see Jesus interacting with these fishermen on a constant basis, but we never see Jesus fishing with them. You ever think about that a little bit? He's not out there in the boat fishing with them. He would tell them, cast your net on the other side. He didn't say, let's cast our net on the other side. Cast your nets on the other side. But Jesus... Our friend and our Lord says to us, obey him. That's how he marks our friendship. So let's jump into Genesis chapter 9, or chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the Terebith tree in Morah, Morah, whatever. And the Canaanites were then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still towards the south. Let me draw your attention to verse 3. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse 
him who curses you. This is a promise that any person should take to heart. It's one of the first commands or blessings with a command that God gives mankind. Any nation would also be wise to obey this command. Let me give you just a brief history lesson here. Soon after the Greeks overran the Palestine area, they desecrated the altars in the Jewish temple. They were conquered by Rome shortly thereafter. When Rome destroyed Jerusalem under Titus, Rome soon falls. Spain was reduced to a third world status of power after their inquisition against the Jews. Hitler's Germany loses World War II after their stand to blame and annihilate the Jews. Great Britain. As an empire, they became a shadow of themselves in their past glory once they cut off support and relationships with Israel. So where are we today? The United States of America and our current foreign policy has never been in more trouble than it is today in our relationship with standing with or against Israel. Since 1948, we have stood with Israel as a nation, but now that's in danger. And when we, and I think it's coming, by the way, turn our back on Israel, we too, as a nation, will suffer God's curse upon us. It's God's promise. And this happens to be a distinct possibility with our current administration. God promised Abraham blessings and cursings upon those who bless and curse you. And that promise was true in Abram's life, and it's true today. God hasn't pulled back that promise. In you, Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Well, God has done this through the Messiah. Jesus came through the lineage of Abram, and the whole world enjoys salvation through the lineage of Abram in Jesus. And that's amazing because Abram, he is not completely obedient to God right from the get-go. Right from the start, God says, Abram, leave Haran and leave your family and go to the south. Maybe, and we don't know, maybe Abram tried to leave Haran without his relatives, in particular, nephew Lot. Maybe it's Lot's idea to tag along with Abram. But God has given Abram the command to leave by himself. Leave his relatives, leave them behind, and go south to Canaan. Maybe Abraham thinks that command's a little too harsh. Maybe that's a little too severe. Perhaps Abram thinks 
this command by God is too stringent. It's a little too demanding to separate from family. So he disobeys. Regardless whether Abram wanted to leave Lot behind or not, Lot tags along. Lot is with him. And Abram's disobedience is recorded for all of us to read about. Oftentimes, close family relation will cause us to be disobedient to God. Even today. We can have the most noble desires to please God and be obedient to God. But if we're not careful, those we love, our family, can interfere with that desire. We allow children, we allow parents to compromise our relationship and our desire to obey God. When Lori and I moved back here to Alabama, like Abraham, we wanted friends to come along with us, to follow us. <laughs> friends that we considered uh, faithful to God who would be a great asset in trying to plan a Calvary. Not one of them came with us. One friend in particular, and he's still a good friend, he and his wife could not leave California because they had to take care of her mother. A responsibility in their eyes, but I'm not so sure it was in God's will. They openly confessed that their mother-in-law would not leave California. So they felt like they had to stay in California to take care of her. In my humble opinion, they were allowing a close relative to interfere with them serving God. And I don't say that lightly. Separation from family is exactly what God wanted for Abram. Separate from him. Many of us look upon separating from our family as being cruel. But family can be a great distraction, even a hindrance in us serving God. Now, concerning our friends who did not come with us here to Alabama, they could have said to me, God called you to Alabama, Don, not me. And I could have lived with that. <laughs> I really could have. I could have, I could have dealt with that. But I couldn't live with Mama won't come with us. That was hard for me to live with. Abram, he is an example of how God calls each of us to himself personally. God calls you, God calls me to himself. He doesn't call churches. He doesn't call groups. He calls individuals. And God wants each of us to love him, align ourselves with him, and be completely loyal to him. And for some Christian, that's difficult. It's a difficult command 
to love God above family. Now understand, God is not talking about a husband and wife relationship here. He's not telling a husband to leave his wife. In, as a husband, if you're called uh, to God, then your wife is called with you. I'm not, not saying that. Basically, if God has called you to follow him, he has also called your wife, guys. That's just how simple it is. When God called me to the south, and I might add, like Abram, <laughs> I said to God, and we had this conversation, okay, God, I'm not even going to try to convince Lori. I'm not even going to try. But you know what? God did convince Lori, and I didn't have anything to do with it. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, okay, Don, you're on your little soapbox. Let me give you some scripture to back up what I'm saying. <laughs> Luke 14, you might want to turn there. In Luke 14, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples and the great multitude that's following him. But understand, we all want to see our church here grow. That's, uh, I think that's understood. Jesus has a tremendous multitude that is following him. Jesus feels inclined to reduce that number. He's going to cut that number. So let's read Luke 14, 25 through 27. Now a great multitude went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Hate mom and dad, our children, our siblings? Sounds a little radical. Hate in these verses simply means hate. It doesn't mean dislike. It means hate. Do I believe this is a comparison type hate? Yes, I do. I believe God is saying in comparison to your love to me, you're to hate other things. But we cannot get away from the fact that Jesus used the word hate. So how do we interpret this verse? We are to hate anything, including ourselves, that hinder or stand in the way of us being a disciple of Jesus. We're to hate it. You don't hear this verse taught on too often from many pulpits because they're hard verses. They're demanding verses. There is a holy grail in Christian thought out there, and that is uh, the family is above all things. There are some uh, religions that are so family-oriented that they almost forget the gospel. But anyway, but what have we just read? We have just read that you're to hate mom and dad, and even yourself, 
in comparison to your love for Jesus. And so many times, all of our energies, all of our time and effort are consumed in trying to be that ideal family. Now, Jesus is a proponent of family. It's his order. He set up families. But Jesus is also about truth. And sometimes Jesus is about tough love. If that adult child, if that parent or other close family member is not a believer and they are living a lifestyle apart from Christ, for sure keep praying for them. We're to never quit praying for them. But our Lord might be saying to you, if that's your situation, separate from that person. Why would he say that? Because sometimes family have to get out of the way so we can serve God and so the Holy Spirit can deal with them one-on-one -on -one apart from us. Sometimes we're in the way. We are called to be Jesus' disciples. That's our call. You don't have to wonder about that. That's very plain. And we're not to let anything interfere with being a disciple of Christ. A few years ago, I was at a pastor's conference where a fellow pastor from Idaho was telling how his young daughter was pleading with him not to go on a missions trip to India. She was going to miss her daddy. Don't go, daddy. We're going to miss you too much. And uh, please don't go, and so forth and so on. And he says, you know, the Lord clearly spoke to me at the same time my daughter was pleading with me. And the Lord asked him, are you going to listen to your little daughter or are you going to listen to me? Conflict. Was it painful for this pastor to leave his family and go on this mission trip to India where he was gone uh, probably weeks on end? I'm sure it was. Did the pain of separating from his family for a short time, did it win the day? No. This pastor was true. True to his Lord, true to being a disciple. That pastor, when he told this story, he gained my instant respect. He was willing to suffer, willing to allow his daughter to suffer a little for the cause of Christ. Taking up our cross, my friends, can be painful. That's why it's called a cross. Jesus' cross is the greatest example of love because it was so painful. It was so hard. Hard for Jesus and hard for the Father. A cross is not an easy thing. Jesus says, Take up your cross. Abram, he was called to Canaan. 
yet he will never even have a house to call his own in the land of Canaan. Abram will always live in tents. He will never own land in Canaan. The only land Abram ever owns is a burial plot. Once in Canaan, Abraham thought it was important to build an altar to the Lord and sacrifice to God. And God honors Abram's sacrifice by appearing to him. God honors his sacrifice and comes to him. Listen to God's covenant with Abram. I will give you this land to you and your descendants. That's God's promise to him. And this is the first reference in Scripture that the land of Canaan belongs to Abraham and his descendants by God's decree. Not man's, God's decree. Yet by faith, Abram must accept the promise of God as true. There was no evidence of him owning that land. He had to accept this by faith. Because Abram never personally owns any of Canaan. But God's promises, they're yea and amen. And who lives in Canaan today? Israel, Israelites. It's a nation of the Jews today. And if God has given this land to the Jews, who is man to try and divide it or take it away from the Jews? Now I'm getting into foreign policy, am I not? <laughs> I am deeply troubled any time the United States steps in, tries to work out a peace treaty between Israel and the Palestinians or Israel and anybody, and they begin to talk with Israel and urge them to give up land. That bothers me. Should we not stand with Israel? Should we not be their ally? Should we not be their friend? Because God says, I will bless those that bless you. I think we would be wise as a nation to side with Israel. Not trying to direct to them. Not trying to work out a lands for peace type situation. But simply be a good friend and neighbor. To God's people. And that begins in our heart. Are the Jewish people sometimes hard to get along with? If you've ever worked with them, yes, they are. <laughs> if you've ever had dealings with them, uh, uh, yeah, they can be very tough. That doesn't take away from the fact they are God's chosen people and he promises to bless them. So the situation becomes, do I want to be blessed? Or do I want to be cursed? It's that simple. So I pray for our nation that we will not turn our back on Israel. I pray for our current administration to have a pro-Israel uh, policy. I think it's in our own best interest to do that. But don't allow anything to separate you from the call that is upon your life 
and that is to be a disciple of Jesus. Let me get you to stand and we'll close in prayer. Father God, only you in your great wisdom and love could say that you are the best thing for us and therefore we are to hate everything that would take us away from you. That's for our benefit. That's for our good. And may we look upon your promises and your commands as being for us, not against us. We can try to second-guess a lot of things, Lord, but never let us second-guess your word. We don't want to be second-guessing your wisdom. We want to be obedient to you, Lord. We want you to be, to be able to say of us that we are your friend because we obey you. So, Lord, give us that wisdom. Give us that discernment to follow you up close and personal. You have proven time and again that you are a good God and that you know best for each and every one of us. And Lord, if sometimes we have to separate from family because that's good and it helps us serve you better, then let us be willing to do that, Lord. We want to love you above all things, Lord. For we know and you have proven that it is wise and good. So be with us. Lord, we would ask that over these Thanksgiving uh, days of feasting and all that we'll be doing, Lord, we ask for your blessing. Give us that heart that is grateful to you for the many blessings that we have. So, Lord, let us be grateful in our very hearts and lives of your blessings. Thank you for loving us this morning. We just pray for a great week to come before us, Lord. So we honor you and we thank you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.